All right. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Hey, James. Hanging out right there. Okay. Hey, um, dads, there is uh, root beer up here uh, that you have not grabbed yet and cream soda. There's a ton. I'm going to tell you what, if y'all don't come up here and get it at some point while I'm talking, um, I'm going to have to drink that all uh, because it's my favorite and I'd rather not do that. Um, so that's over there. Uh, kids, there's still popsicles over there. Grab some popsicles. Uh, make your uh, parents' afternoon really, really fun. Um, that will be good. Uh, and there's some water too. Uh, thank the Lord for this cloud cover right now, right? Uh, the last few weeks has been just absolutely um, hot. And so we're thankful for that. We're going to hope that it doesn't rain while we're out here, even though we sang with two songs having the words rain in it, right? Uh, a little bit different, but uh, hey, let's pray one more time and then we're going to jump right in. Father, thanks so much that we have the opportunity to talk here, that we have an opportunity to sit together, um, socially distanced, of course, in our space, but to sit together and to worship you. I'm so grateful for that. Would you take this time uh, right now and use it in a way that is glorifying for you and that is edifying to us? And we pray, Father, that by the time that we've spent this time together, uh, by the time that we're done, Lord, we will feel uh, closer to you. Uh, not necessarily to be closer, but we will feel closer to you as you are already drawing us to you. And so uh, use this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was about uh, 23 uh, years old or so, give or take, uh, I went skydiving uh, for the first time ever in my life. The only time ever in my life as well. Uh, I woke up one morning and my buddy said, hey, do you want to go skydiving? I said, hey, all right, let's go skydiving. And so we went to uh, the, the skydiving place. I don't even know what you call the things. Um, we went there, and uh, they gave us these ridiculous-looking onesies, okay? You, you all know the onesies, the one like babies used to wear when you were a baby, that does, but these ones didn't have any feet in them. Uh, we had the onesies, and mine was teal blue, and it had pink stripes down the side and pink stripes down the sides of the legs, and then they gave us this uh, uh, leather helmet, right? Like, it looked like it was one of those old-school, like, first football helmets ever created, and, and so they gave us these helmets, and I still to this day have zero clue why they give you a helmet when you're going to go skydiving, because it doesn't seem like it's going to do much for you if you are ever in the case where you would need a helmet. But nonetheless, they gave us a helmet, they got it, we got into this little prop plane, uh, and we went, I don't know how high we went in the air, but we were so high that uh, everything on the ground looked microscopic, people looked like ants, cars looked like ants. And as we're uh, hanging out there in the airplane, my instructor, who was going to be tandem to me, now I want you to try to picture this, okay? I'm about six foot one, two ten ish on a good day, and uh, my instructor was a little gal who was about five foot three, hundred pounds uh, or so. And so by the time she attached to me, it's like she was a backpack on my back, right? I'm just kind of in the plane, moving around with her on my back. But it came time for the doors to open and for us to jump out of the plane or to fall out of the plane, as it would be. She scoots me over, like all five, three of her and all 100 pounds, just like, woof, moves me over outside of the door. My body, you know, like, have you seen those, uh, those deals where, like, babies are hanging out like the Bajorns, where they're hanging on front? Like, I was like the Bajorn, right? I was the baby hanging in the Bajorn. I was completely outside of the plane. And she's on the inside. My legs are kind of moving around. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what did I sign up for here? Well, we jump out of the plane or we fall out of the plane. I'm falling through the air. My cheeks are flapping. I didn't know they could do that, but they're all over the place. My pants are flapping. And we're, as we're flying through the air, like my throat is in my chest. I, I'm, I'm like, okay, this is the end. This is how things go. Okay, I got it. But we're flying. And eventually she pulls the cord, parachute flies open. And uh, now obviously this is not the parachute. I've grown a little since this, but 
Um, this is my daughter's little play parachute, but she, she flies open the parachute, she pulls the cord, and this thing like spreads all throughout the air, right? And it's like gorgeous. It's gorgeous in the air, like fully expanded. I mean, it's gorgeous. I don't even know how to say it. Like ginormous, right? So we're, we're flying down, and I'm just like, I'm getting dizzy because you have to do circles as you come down, like to get down fast. So I'm like, oh, I hope I don't throw up in that thing. Um, but but we're, we're going down, and I'm trying to keep it in. But I, I can feel that she keeps looking up at the parachute. Had no idea what she was doing. I was, I'm guessing she was checking to make sure it was still there. And I, I'm guessing it was because we were going slower than we started, for sure. And uh, I, I had no clue why she kept looking up until this past week. This past week I read, uh, or I was reading, uh, part of Bob Goff's book, uh, uh, Everybody Always. And as I was reading, he gives an illustration, actually, of parachuting and jumping out of a plane. And he gave me a little window into the secret of why she kept looking up at the, the parachute uh, above her. Uh, apparently, when a parachute deploys, you have these little strings that are attached to the parachute, right? So you've got uh, all the way around, you've got parachute cord. And that parachute cord goes all the way around, and then it straps to your harness that goes around your shoulders, it goes around your midsection. And if any one of those little cords gets twisted, it's not good news for you. The parachute can be absolutely fully open, fully glorious, looking magnificent in the air. But if any one of those cords begins to get trapped over the other, just kind of get the lines crossed, although it looks good, eventually you're going to be coming in hot for a, a pretty, pretty fast landing. You're going to crash. Um, and you may, may end up losing your life depending on how fast you hit the ground. So these cords are very important. So every time that she looked up at the parachute, she was making sure that there weren't any lines that were crossed, any cords that were crossed over top of one another. Um, because if those were crossing one another, it would be a really bad landing, right? And so that's what she was checking out as we were coming down. Now, think, 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 think about this with me, right? As she's coming down on my back, she's got to make a decision. If I look up and I see those strings that are wrapped around one another, even though it looks like everything is perfect, I'm going to have to make a brave decision to reach up and cut those cords. Like, can, you, can you try to imagine that? Like you're, you're flying down, you're flying through the air, and all of a sudden you cut what looks like a perfectly good parachute away from you so that the reserve parachute can get pulled. And when the reserve parachute comes out, hopefully those lines aren't crossed because if those lines get crossed, then that's a bad deal. But she has to make a brave decision to cut those cords so that the reserve parachute can come out. But if those lines get crossed, it, it's, a, it's a bad deal. There's a big difference in a parachute looking right and a parachute actually being right. Would you agree? There's a big difference in a parachute looking right and just being right. I, I actually, I have a couple of these parachutes if kids want to come up here and grab them. Um, I don't know how they'll work out here, but they, they only have one string. So they're, they're all going to come down pretty good. So if you're, if you're a kiddo and you want to grab a parachute, go ahead and run up here and grab them. I'm just going to throw them out here. Those ones are in the bags. So you can take them home, and you can fly them in your house, you can fly them outside. Because I want you to remember that it matters, guys, what, the, what is going on with your lines and your parachute. Here you go. Here you go. My hands have been sanitized, just so you know, Mom, Dad. And those are in packs. So, there's a big difference. Yes. Oh, he can take that one right there. Hey, um, uh, there's a big difference in your parachute looking right and your parachute actually being right. And so it is detrimentally important that we are checking the lines from time to time to see what's going on with our own parachutes. 
I've actually, I've been reading through Deuteronomy here lately, uh, and the phrase that keeps popping out to me in Deuteronomy, um, uh, it, that over and over and over again, as Israel is getting ready to move into the promised land, what was, was this idea, God keeps saying, make sure that you purge the evil from amongst you. Purge the evil from amongst you. Purge the evil from amongst you. In other words, what he's saying is take the sin around you and take the sin that's in your own life extremely serious. Like, don't make light of something that has the potential of wrecking your life. He's, he's saying in Deuteronomy, deal with the sin. And if they dealt with it, they could enjoy this fantastic connection with the Lord. If they dealt with it, they could keep this fantastic connection with one another and with the land that they were going into. But if they somehow act like sin wasn't a big deal, if lines started getting crossed and they started looking around and saying, ah, that's not really that big of an issue, then their experience of God's blessing was going to be detrimentally impacted in a negative way. And you see this pattern over and over and over again within Israel as they're moving into the promised land. People who have been called by God, who are walking around under his name, there are moments when they said, you know what, enough is enough. I'm going to reach up and I'm going to cut the lines. But there were moments where sin wasn't even on their radar as well. And you see it throughout their history. And so a long, long, long time ago, God was saying that sin was going to be an issue. And that people who were called by his name were going to have to deal with it. And they were going to have to deal with it honestly. They were going to have to deal with it swiftly. And he was saying they were going to have to purge the evil from amongst their own lives and around the land. And they were going to have to, essentially, they were going to have to cut the lines. Now, what I want you to do is I want you, uh, if you have your Bible or if you have a device with you, I want you to go ahead and turn to Psalm 51, because that's going to be the, the background of our text this, this morning. Psalm uh, 51. Uh, and I want us to look at a, a man here who was brave enough to deal with the sin in his own life. And he was brave enough to actually reach up and cut the lines when everything seemed on the outside like it was perfect. Now, if you're familiar with the backstory of David here, you know that David made some of the worst decisions of his life, and he made them right there back to back with one another, right? And, and, uh, those, and those were, one, that he committed adultery, which was punishable by death, and he committed murder, which was also punishable by death as well. We know that he went into Bathsheba, and as he went into Bathsheba, he tried to cover that up, and he had Uriah move to the front line, and so he was responsible for Uriah's death. And... and that sin was bad enough, right? Like when we, when we read that part of David's story, like, wow, you did that? You know, like you, you went there? And, and, and for us, that sin is bad enough. I mean, it's really, it's no small deal. But if we can say this, I think, without being tried or trying to minimize what had actually happened, what made that particular sin even worse was that David walked around acting as if that was no big deal. He was walking around acting like, like his chute was completely open. Like there were no lines crossed in his life. He, like, he was flying through the sky, parachute wide open, looking perfect. But he was coming in hot. He was coming in for a crash landing and he didn't even know it. And then by God's grace, by a gift of the Lord, Nathan comes up and says, I know what you did. And more importantly, it's not just I who know what you did, but God knows what you did. Cut the lines, David. And run to the Lord. Confess. Repent. Be restored. Re be renewed in your relationship with Him. And I'm going to tell you what. If you've got somebody in your life who's willing to call you out like that. If you've got somebody who, in your life who's willing to be that honest with you. Those conversations we know, like they're, they're not easy, right? Those are difficult conversations. They're not comfortable by any stretch of the imagination. But they are a gift 
from God. They are a grace from the Lord. Uh, I had a friend call me out. Uh, I was about three to four years into to, uh, becoming uh, a believer. I was uh, been following Christ. I was reading. I was devouring the Word, and I was growing. But there was an area of my life, my dating life, like it was completely untouched by Christ. Not by not because He didn't want to, but because of me, because I was keeping Him at arm's distance. And I had a friend come up to me, and and here and here's what he said. He said, "Bro, what are you doing?" Like, like, really, what are you doing? Like, you are wrecking your own life, but you're also wrecking the lives of others that you're coming in contact with right now. And every bit inside of me, like, in this uncomfortable conversation, was like, who are you? Like, who gives you the right to speak into my life like that? I didn't give you that permission. I didn't ask you to. But I'm going to tell you what happened is that God used that conversation to help me cut some lines in my life because I was coming in hot. God used that uncomfortable conversation of a brother being willing to speak into my life to show me his grace and his mercy so, so he would give me a pair of scissors to cut the lines. I was crashing and I didn't even know it. You got anybody in your life that you're listening to when they're speaking honestly into your life? You got anybody where you're, where, or where you're holding off and saying, like, who gives you the right to speak to me that way? Who gives you the permission to speak into my life like that? I'm going to tell you, they are God's gift to you. They are God's grace for you in that moment, even if it doesn't feel like it. Listen to how David makes some brave choices to cut the lines after he's become fully aware of his sin. He cries out to God, he confesses to the Lord, and he restores, or, or God restores this connection with himself, okay? Uh, Psalm 51. <clears throat> Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your works and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Here David is pointing out the fact that he was born with a nature towards sin. That like Even if he had never done anything wrong, he was carrying this genetic code inside of him that predisposed him towards sin that he would always need a savior for. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that have broken, have, that have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, oh, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Now remember, Psalms here, they're expressions of the heart, right? And right now, David's heart is broken. He is grieved over the sin. He's broken over this. Listen to, listen to how he approaches it. He's crying out. And maybe for the first time ever in his life, he's finally taking the weight of sin seriously. He's made huge mistakes, 
small compromises in his life that have led to these devastating effects. He's broken over this. And here's how he approaches God. He says, have mercy on me, God. Blot out my sin. Remove my rebellion. Get rid of all the evil. He uses all kinds of different words here to express this destructive and devastating and rebellious nature of sin. He's taking sin seriously here. He's saying, man, this affects everything in my life. It's permeated everything. Look at verse 3. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin. It's ever before me. In other words, he's saying, when I wake up, I feel it. When I go to sleep, I feel it. Anxiety is sitting in me. Everywhere that I walk, I feel this. And I can't shake it. It won't go anywhere. I have rebelled and I feel it all around me. You ever felt sin like that in your own life? It's like moments where you just kind of, you knew you blew it. Moments where, man, you can't eat, you can't sleep, your stomach is in knots, there's shame and there's guilt that feels like it's just kind of pressing in on you. You feel inside, everything inside of you says, man, I don't want to run to God. Actually, I want to run away from him. I feel too embarrassed to even approach him. The, the moments where you feel like, man, my sin is ever before me. No one has to remind you of it because you can't stop thinking about it. No one has to remind you of it because they don't have to like throw it in your face because you're throwing it up in your own face. My sin is ever before me. It's permeating everything around me. Do you know why David's so torn up? You know, do you know why sometimes we're so torn up in this? Because David sees, and I think sometimes we see, the devastating damage that sin has caused. We see the, the damage that it wreaks havoc on all around us. And here's what David says. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, now, hold, like, hold up, David. What, what do you mean it's only against God? Like, what about Uriah? Didn't you sin against Uriah? I mean, because he's kind of crying out from the grave. Yeah, like you sinned against me. What, what about Bathsheba? Did, didn't David sin against Bathsheba? Yeah, like, like, like he did. He He, he did. And so we say, hold up, like, don't they matter? Absolutely, they matter. Because sin never stops with just an individual. Sin always has ripple effects that go out from us. And then they ripple into the lives of others. And they ripple into the lives of others. And it goes, and it goes, and it goes. And so sin always has ripple effects. But what David is, I think, finally realizing for maybe even the first time in his life here, is at the heart, sin is always rebellion against God. It, it is. Like, like, we can't sugarcoat that. Sin is always rebellion against God. There's no way to cover that up. And so when we sin, right, and the reason why our, our, our stomach is torn up in knots sometimes, the reason why is because we know that on some indistinct level that we rebel against God. And maybe for the first time here, David's realized the full weight of that sin. He's just, man, like, it wasn't just Uriah. It wasn't just Bathsheba, but I have rebelled against you, and you only have I sinned, God. And so if you're a, a wise person or a wise kiddo, I, you might be asking, you mean when I yell at my sister, like I'm rebelling against God? Yeah. You mean when I can't stop scrolling on that thing that my eyes can't get away from, that I'm rebelling against the heart of God? Yeah. You mean when I'm jacking stuff from from the office, like gathering place where everybody else is taking things from? You mean like I rebel against the heart of God when, when, when that's me? Yeah. You, you mean when, just fill in your, your, your sin there, that, that thing that breaks the heart of God. You mean when I, yeah, it's rebellion against the heart of God. 
sin at its very core is rebellion. It, it, it ripples into every area of our life, right? It affects everything around us. But at its heart, sin is always rebellion against God. It's never a trivial, trivial issue. It permeates and ripples into everything about us. When we look at David's life, we see in David's own life, like we see this sin ripple into the death of his son. We see this sin ripple into how his boys actually become um, sexual predators as well. Um, we see this sin ripple into the way that the kingdom is run. We see, the, we see that the, the kingdom gets split into two. We see this ripple all the way down. The kingdom is never the same after this. Sin is never trivial. We have to be brave enough to reach up and cut some cords that get twisted from time to time, even when we don't think it's a big deal. We've got to be willing to cut some strings. And so if you're a dad or a mom or a kid out there, a teenager, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about your cords. Do you have any cords that are twisted up right now? You're looking at it like, man, it doesn't really feel like a big deal. My, when people look at me, my shoot is wide open. It's gorgeous. Nobody on the outside would ever know. Do you have any cords that are, are twisted? Anything that you feel is not really a big deal, but it's affecting people around you. But even more importantly than that, as David cries out against you, Lord, and only you have I sinned. Is there anything that's like moving you like, man, this is really affecting my relationship with the Lord. Things look great on the outside. Have the courage to reach up and cut those cords so that the Lord can pull the, the, the reserve, so that he can pull a, a reserve of grace. Uh, cry out to God, confess it. Get it out there. Cut the cords. See, when we confess, can I tell you what we're doing? We show that we, we're taking God seriously in his word. When we confess, we, we show that we're taking communion with him seriously. We demonstrate that God is the king of his kingdom, right? And, and that, that we're his people. And what ends up happening is that we pass down a legacy that holds a life surrendered to Christ on high and not surrender to my own whims and my own desires. It's so easy for us to do what we want to do. It's so easy for me to have this desire to say, okay, nothing can hold me back and stop me from doing that and for me to go out and do it. Like, that's so easy. It's a lot harder for us to live under the authority and within the kingdom of somebody else who, who has rules who has, um, uh, who has guidelines for what actually leads us to life. It's so easy for us to do whatever we want. It takes a lot more courage to live under the kingdom and authority uh, of the God who has called us to himself. And so when we confess, we demonstrate to our kids, we demonstrate to our coworkers, we, de we demonstrate to the, even the people that we've offended, we demonstrate that God is the king of his kingdom. I'm not the king of his kingdom. I'm under his rule and his, his authority, and I am one of his. It shows that he's the head. Look at verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David knows that his sin is not known to anybody else. Like his parachute is wide open. It's expanded. Everything in his life looks perfect on the outside. Nobody knows what's going on. But life is more important than looking good on the outside. God's never been about just getting the outside clean. God's never been about the external transformation of our, of our actions and what people look and perceive. He's always been about transforming our hearts from the inside out. He's never been about conformity without transformation of the heart. He's always been about transforming us from the inside out. That's been the goal. He's been transforming us this way. And so David says that there's this inner part 
There's a secret part of me that you've been working on. The part that nobody else gets to see. The part that nobody else really has a touch on. I can't make that better. Only you, God, can make that better. In other words, what he's, in other words, what he's saying is, I can't fix what's going on inside of me. Only you can fix that. Lord, restore this. Even when it looks like things are perfect from the outside in, there's like this turmoil that only you can fix. I, I want to try to explain this hyssop thing here. Like, it kept popping out on the page to me um, this week. And I said, like, why, why, why hyssop? Why purge me with, with hyssop here? Does anybody know what hyssop is and what it's used for? Yeah, even if you said it, I wouldn't be able to hear, be able to hear you, I don't think. Right? Hyssop um, was a sign of God's grace and mercy in the Old Testament. Hyssop was a, a plant that God used in several different ways of sacrifice and covering over and, and uh, providing cleansing for uh, Israel. When Israel was about to leave uh, Egypt, God told the Israelites to go take a hyssop plant and to dip it in blood and to wipe the doorposts of their homes so that when the angel of the Lord came through that night, and took out the firstborn of the Egyptians, that the angel of the Lord would walk, would go over their house, that they wouldn't be held accountable, right? That they were they were being protected. Hyssop was a, a plant that was used also to sprinkle blood on people and to sprinkle blood on sacrifices for cleansing ceremonies within Numbers and within Deuteronomy as well. All of that, all of the, the, the sacrificial stuff that happened with, with hyssop, it all pointed to the day when Jesus was going to come and he was going to be the ultimate sacrifice who would cleanse sin for good and for all time. And so when David is saying, Lord, purge me with hyssop, he's saying while knowing it and while also not knowing that I stand here on nothing that I've done. I don't stand here on any of my own credit. I don't stand on any of my own approval here. Like I stand solely on your grace. I stand solely on your mercy so that you might purge the sin out of my life. This is David desperately crying out to God that my pockets are empty. Like I'm coming to you. I have nothing to offer you. I've got no bag of tricks. I've got nowhere that I can hide. I've got nothing that I can cover up with. This is my inner man being revealed. I'm not making any excuses. I'm not blaming anybody else for the things that I've done. I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to point to my circumstances because I didn't have the best circumstances growing up. I'm not in the best circumstances now. I'm just not. It's not going to happen. What David's doing here is he's owning what he did. He says, I own it. I did it. I have nothing to stand on but your grace and your mercy. And I'm standing on your character. I've committed adultery. I should die. I've committed murder. I should die. But I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want you to take the throne away from me. And I don't want you to take my life away from me. And he's pleading for God for forgiveness here and to restore this relationship. I want to be real clear here because we're like we're reading out of the Old Testament right now. But there's a huge thing that's happened from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Everything that David is pointing to is to be restored in relationship. It's not being restored salvation. It's being restored in relationship. So everything from the Old Testament to the New Testament, when Jesus came and you gave your life to Christ, when we confess, like we're not earning salvation, we're not buying salvation, we're not being saved again when we confess. Like Jesus, like he's not turning his mind, or he's not turning his face away from us when we sin and we do something wrong, right? Like he's never turning his face. This is when we come and we confess to him, we are running to him and saying, you know what? I'm going to stop turning my face away from you. I'm going to start turning my face back to you. <clears throat> so when Jesus came, like he gave his grace. And when you, when you, uh, when you receive Christ, you entered into his family by his grace and by his grace alone. You couldn't stand on anything of your own. You came to him through that grace. 
And so confession is an opportunity to remind us of that. Not to receive salvation, but to remind us of His grace, to remind us of His mercy, to remind us of the forgiveness that He's given to us. And so when we confess, we get to experience that grace over and over and over again. Not because He's given it to us for the first time, but we're being reminded of that. He doesn't turn His face. We turn ours back to Him. And so when we confess and we lean into the grace of Jesus, what we're doing is we're creating these patterns for our lives, right? And not only creating these patterns for our lives of confession, but we're also creating these patterns of our lives for our kids to show that, that we're not perfect and they're not perfect either. And we're always going to need the grace of Jesus. We're always going to need him. We're not only going to need him for our salvation, but we're going to need his grace to keep us in relationship. Not, not, not to give us relationship, but to keep us bound in closeness and walking and experience his goodness. And, that. and so when we confess, we lead our kids into this real relationship with Jesus. We lead the people that we're talking to into real relationship with Jesus. Where I'm not perfect. And we're not pretending that they have to be perfect. But we're continually running to the one who is and reminding them of the grace that he's given us. Dad, it's, it's Father's Day, Right? And you want, you want something for Father's Day? Like, we got root beer up here. <laughs> We've got water. We've got popsicles if you want some popsicles. But you really want something for Father's Day? You want to know what God wants that transforms you as a father? You want to know what God wants to transform you as a man? And this isn't just for dads. This is for anybody who's sitting here. You want to know what God wants to transform you and to grab, a, and grab your heart? What he really wants? Listen to verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Dads, like there's a this dangerous ground that we walk on in Christian culture. Isn't there? There's this dangerous ground, and it's called the ground of familiarity. Where we know the right things to say, we know the right things to do, we know the right ways to give, we know how to make our parachute look like it's got all the air that it has while at the same time we still have some lines that are crossed inside. We know the right things. Like there's this ground of familiarity that, that like that can kind of messes up sometimes, right? It can kind of mess us up. The parachute can be wide open while at the same time things are destructing on the inside and we're coming in hot for a crash. And sometimes we know it and sometimes we have no clue that it's happening. David said, guys, God doesn't want my stuff. I mean... You do, God. You want our sacrifice. You want our offering. You want our obedience. You want our lives. But not at the expense of me acting like everything is right. Everything is perfect. And everything's uncrossed when things are falling apart. Not at the expense of for us acting like everything is fine when everything isn't. He wants all that. But what he wants more importantly is your heart. He wants your heart. He wants you, your heart. He wants humility. He wants honesty. He wants a humble and an honest heart. A heart that's laid bare before him constantly. A heart that deals with sin. Not a perfect person, but a person who's in progress. Not somebody who's got everything just right, but somebody who's willing to say, you know what, Lord, I've got some things crossed right now. And I know I'm coming in hot, and I'm about to land. Give me the courage, give me the bravery to reach down and grab the scissors and cut the cords, because this parachute is coming down fast. Everything looks perfect, but it's not. And so the Lord is saying... I cut the cords. Don't come down hot when you don't have to. Give me a humble heart. Give me an honest heart. David cries out in this psalm, Lord, create in me a clean heart and restore a right spirit in me. If you're coming in hot, I want you to know, I want you to walk out of here knowing that you don't have to crash. 
And you don't have to hit the ground hard. You can say, Lord, I've got some things that are twisted, and I need you to untwist these things. Acting like everything is perfect when things aren't perfect isn't what we need. Just not. It's not what our kids need. It's not what you need. What you need, what our kids need, they need to hear honesty and humility to know that they can approach a God who has grace, a God who has mercy, a God who has compassion, a God who wants them to honestly deal with what's going on in their life, to know that they can run to God, right? They can run to Him. A lot of times what happens is when we mess up, we, we feel like we have to run away in shame and, and guilt. I want you to know that shame and guilt, that doesn't come from the Lord. Shame and guilt comes from Satan, and He would love for you to stay in that place. But when we mess up, the Lord wants you to know that there's an avenue back to Him, and it's in your relationship with the Lord. He doesn't turn his face away from you. He keeps his face towards you. And he's waiting for you to turn his face, your face back to him. Show our kids that when we blow it, when we mess up, that they've got a person to run back to. They don't have to hide in shame. And you don't have to hide in shame as well. Let's hand our kids a parachute that works. Let's hand our kids some scissors to start cutting the strings. Let's hand you some scissors to start cutting the strings of the things that are twisted in your life. So you can be honest with him and so that your experience of your relationship with the Lord can continue to grow. Confession is a pathway to joy, guys. Yes. It so it's it's a it's a pathway to joy. It's a pathway to experiencing his life. And so here's what I'd ask you to do. It's like, man, okay, I feel it's really heavy on, on, on Father's Day. I want to hand you some scissors. And I, I want you to evaluate. Are, are there some strings that are crossed in, in, in your own life? And be willing to cut those. Take sin seriously. That's what David did. He messed up. He knew it. Somebody called him out. Like he was living like sin was no big deal. But when somebody called him out, he said, okay, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to cut the strings. And so take the sin in your life seriously. Own it. Right? Don't blame it on somebody else. Own it. And deal with it. Confess it and experience the grace of God. Cut the cords that are tangling you up right now. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, um, thank you for this day. <laughs> Thanks for holding the rain off. Um, thanks for giving us shade. Thanks for our fathers. Thanks that sin doesn't have to destroy us completely. That you sent a Savior who's, who's been able to pay that penalty, not only the, the pay the penalty, but he's removed the consequence for that when we step into him. And so if there's anybody that, that can hear me right now, I pray that they would, if they've never experienced your grace, if they've never trusted Jesus as their Savior, that right now, on this day, they would step into his grace. They would cut the cords and allow you to give them grace. They would trust Jesus as their Savior. He would be their parachute. And Father, if there's people who have been walking with you, myself included, who've got some twisted strings that we're just not messing with, that we're not even acknowledging that are there, that you would give us the courage, the bravery, that you would give us the wisdom, that you would give people in our life to say, hey, there's some things, <laughs> there's some things that you're working on that, that need to be dealt with. I pray that you would give us the courage to cut those things. Not to make us perfect, but to just allow us to enjoy the relationship that we have. Lord David cried out, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And Lord, when we confess, you're bringing that joy. Let confession lead us to joy this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.